0: Well, if you would, let's take the Word of God this morning and turn to Romans chapter number 11 once again. Romans chapter number 11. And we'll be looking and considering the subject this morning found in verse number 8, the spirit of slumber. The spirit of slumber. You'll notice what verse 8 says. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, And ears that they should not hear unto this day. It's very remarkable to note that the Word of God says that God has given them this spirit. God has given them this spirit of slumber. When we think about slumber and we think about that which often is identified with slumber, we think of something that is apathetic, it is something that is indifferent. It is something that is not interested in. Uh, Before we deal with that subject this morning, let's quickly remember and be reminded uh, where we have been and where we finished last week. Uh, We saw again the Apostle Paul proving once again that God had not fully or finally cast away his people, especially with regard to the nation of Israel. But we ended thinking and considering about salvation. And of course, uh, if you have been saved for any amount of time, this is not a new subject to you, but it always should be at the forefront of our minds about where our salvation originated from and from whom it has been given. Uh, Salvation is by the pure, unmerited, free grace and mercy of God, period. It is by the pure, unmerited, free grace and mercy of God. Of God. Leaving man with nothing to boast in, leaving man with nothing that stands before a holy, righteous God. Uh, no matter how good the work is, no matter how diligent and sincere the effort is, no matter how applauded the deeds of man are, they are not in any way, shape, or form involved in your salvation. We can simply say that the election of grace is not men choosing grace, but by God freely choosing us by His grace. So the election of grace is not men choosing grace, but by God freely choosing us by His grace. And we learned and were reminded on Wednesday Eve, this past Wednesday evening in our study in Revelation, that grace originates from the throne of God. The throne is the very center of everything. It's the center of the universe. It is by grace that we are invited to come to the very place in which grace originated from, God's throne. Grace is not something that just came out of nowhere. It's not something that we grasped after because it was, pardon the expression, floating by our way. That grace was freely given to us. Now, we all would agree that we are all thankful for what God gives us with regard to our salvation. We're all very thankful that God freely gives unto us his mercy and grace. But what causes the stir in people is when we see God giving something like is given in verse 8. God has given them the spirit of slumber. Uh, we are very quick to say all good gifts from, come from above. We are quick to say all good things come from God above. But sadly, and too often in our churches, we are found saying, but God only gives that which is good. He would never give something that would blind men's eyes from the truth. Yet that's exactly what the spirit of slumber is. Now, there are a couple of different parts to this. Because we're going to find as we begin looking at verse 8 down through verse 10 we are going to see the hardness of the heart of man. And we do see that there is a judicial hardening and there certainly is a giving of the spirit of slumber by God, but we have to keep this in mind. Yet that does not mean that man is not without fault. Uh, We are often quick to say, well, if God gave it, then man is not responsible. Man is not at fault. Uh, In this giving of the spirit of slumber, man is not without fault. Now, we understand that due to the rejection of God's free grace, uh, God's grace is being offered. We believe in the offer of free grace to every single person who enters into the doors of this church. We do not believe in refusing it, rejecting it, telling somebody this is not for you. It is freely offered and freely given, and man is held responsible for what he or she does with the receiving of that message of grace we also understand that when the grace of God is rejected, when man does not want anything to do with God, uh, they bring upon themselves their own destruction. Yet God, of course, is sovereign. You'll recall last week at the end of verse 7, uh, we finished with the thought that the election hath obtained it and the rest were blinded. Uh, This really begins in the next few verses, a a subject that is difficult and a topic that is sometimes uh, difficult to wrap our heads around because of the differences uh, of definition depending on what kind of a church or what your spiritual background is. But this really is the beginning of what Paul is declaring about the doctrine of reprobation. Uh, Reprobation is, of course, a very controversial concept, a theological term, because it's been defined as, well, who is really a reprobate? Who is really, uh, who fits that definition? Who fits that category? But what Paul is declaring at the end of verse 7 is that those who are stubbornly refusing God's grace, they're stubbornly refusing even the idea, the concept that God's grace and God's saving mercy comes from him and from him alone, they do in fact bring damnation upon themselves so that God is not blamed for man's rejection. Now, these are difficult concepts to grab onto, because we understand that we do believe that God is sovereign in salvation, we do believe that man cannot see unless his eyes are open to the truth, but we also know to be in uh, consistency with the Scripture, uh, we know that there is the reality of man is held responsible, and yet God is sovereign. Uh, Now remember, uh, Paul has been dealing primarily with Israel, uh, has in fact not obtained the righteousness uh, before God. But instead, what had happened to them is that there was an elect few. There was a number of them who had received that righteousness, who had understood. But the Bible says that the rest of them were blinded. Now, blindness is a divine, godly act. Uh, Blindness is judicially given by God. We understand that. We also know that man is born in sin. Man is born unable to come to God on his own. But we do know that God is always right in judging sin. So God is always just. He is always right. He would have been just in allowing all of us to go to hell. He would have been just. That would not have made God bad. As a matter of fact, uh, we we understand our humanity. We understand who we really are. Uh, We realize there is nothing good in us. There is nothing righteous in us. And we know that it has to be by God's free grace because there's no way uh, I could earn my way into the glory of God. We do know the Bible talks about a time uh, when God will bring man to bring To believe, rather, a delusion. To believe a lie. Uh, 2 Thessalonians tells us about a time when God will make man believe a delusion. They will believe something that is not true. Again, does that make God unjust? Does it make him unfair? Absolutely not. He is doing everything within his sovereign rights. So we do understand that this doctrine or this declaration that Paul begins here of reprobation really begins there in verse 7. In verse number 8, he really begins to deal with the doctrine itself. Now, you'll notice you don't see the word reprobation in your your translation. And now I say that, maybe somebody does. I'm not aware of a a translation that actually uses the word reprobation. But you'll notice again what verse 8 says. According as it is written... That means this is not a made-up doctrine. Where is it written? It is written in the Holy Scriptures. It is written in the Word of God. And we notice who the giver is. God hath given them. Who has he given? It's in context with the end of verse 7. The rest were blinded. God has given those who are blind or who have been blinded the spirit of slumber. Now, we've got to be careful that we don't look at this word spirit and take this to mean some kind of a created spirit or something that God is infusing in man. In other words, God is not adding to man to make this happen. It is not a created spirit. It's not an infused spirit. It's not a spirit that's uh, being produced in man by osmosis. This reality is the what is already in man, which is man's hardened mind and his will. Man's mind is already stubborn and is already enmity against God. He has no desire for God. He has no desire for the righteous things of God. This is not God giving a new spirit. He's allowing and putting what's already there to continue. Notice it says, eyes that they should not see. Now it's not that man is now being given eyes, that now suddenly they're blinded, but his eyes are not going to see the truth of this. His ears are not going to hear. And what does Paul say? How long has this continued? He says, unto this day. That means there is this judicial blinding that is still happening. This spirit of slumber, even in Paul's day, there was the reality that God was giving men over. He was giving them over to a reprobate mind. Romans 1 tells us a little bit about that, how that God gives them over to the mind that is already there. Now, the word reprobate is in Romans 1. Verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. There's the word gave. Gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This is, these are consequences. These are the results of man's hardened will and man's hardened choice. So what is God doing when He's given them the spirit of slumber? He is giving them over to a reprobate mind, a mind that continues to be void of the desire for the things of God. But now notice that Romans 1 did tell us that they did not like to retain God. It wasn't that they didn't know about God. Romans 1 is all about them, man, not be, man being without excuse. So that man could never say, I was not aware there was a God. The reality is the Bible says they don't like to retain God. They change the natural things. Verse 24 of Romans 1, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed. Look what it says. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. For this cause, here it is again, God gave them up unto vile affections. God did not create the vile affection. He just left them in their vile affection and did not enlighten them and illuminate them. God gave them over. That's the same concept that's happening in Romans 11. God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Again, this is not some kind of an additional adding to that now condemns man. Man is condemned already before Christ Jesus opens his eyes. Again, the great mysteries, not only of reprobation, but the, the mysteries of election itself. So what is God doing? God is punishing the self-righteous. He takes away all sense of their spiritual knowledge of God. It's interesting that the the metaphor here or the illustration is to be put into a very deep sleep, to slumber. A slumbering a uh, man, a lazy man, a man who is half awake, a man who is who is completely uh, removed from—he's in a—he's in a sleep. And while he's sleeping, his eyes don't see, and his ears don't hear. So we understand that this is God teaching us the reality of what Scripture does teach us—that they the Bible does teach about the reality of God giving sinners over. And remember this, it's not so much that God has said uh, that this is the reality that I'm not going to save some, but what I'm rather going to do is I am going to allow some to remain in their current condition. Again, that is one of the great mysteries. It is one of the great uh, quandaries that we in our humanity deal with but I think we can see very clearly that that's what Paul exactly is saying here by giving them over to the spirit of slumber. So we see that this doctrine of reprobation certainly uh, is a part of the Holy Scriptures. And then verses 9 and 10, uh, we're going to just keep the theme here and we're going to give this the heading of the decree of reprobation. uh, The decree of reprobation. This is a a prayer or a statement that is not a random statement, but is a quote of what David said in Psalm 69. And we'll turn there in just a moment. But notice what it says. Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Now, Paul, as he often did, quoted the Psalms. Psalm 69 is the most quoted psalm in all the new testament you'll find more references to psalm 69 in the new testament than any other psalm so i want you to turn there with me and let's look at just part of this psalm we can't read through it all because of its length today but i certainly want you to see the emphasis here that is being placed on the reality of what paul is actually quoting and what this means with the cause and the decree of reprobation Uh, psalm 69 um, has elements to it that point directly to what jesus christ is going to endure in the cross Uh, david is the author it's a psalm of david you can see at the very in the uh, header of psalm 69 Uh, You can hear David pouring out his heart before God. But then you can hear him begin, David as a type in the Old Testament, you can hear him say things that are prophetic towards what Jesus Christ is going to do. Uh, One of those appears in verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Uh, This, of course, is a direct fulfillment that Christ on the cross was offered that very uh, potion and did not accept it. It was the bitter cup is what he is being offered. He died on the cross being given that. But now notice and see if this is familiar to us. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten, and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity. And let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This is... A prayer that David prays, and of course it is praying in a way that we are often unfamiliar with in our modern churches. But this is a psalm where David is praying for the blinding of those who disregard or those who do not take and receive the message of God. It's always a debate, do Christians today, are we supposed to pray that way? Are we supposed to pray these kind of prayers? I'll leave that for another day. But I do understand that in the Holy Scriptures, it is inspired Scripture, which means that if it's an inspired Scripture, it's not there by chance. It's not there by accident. Those who have tried to argue that David would never pray against the coming coming to faith or the eyes being opened would have a great deal of difficulty explaining then what David was praying about in Psalm 69. But what it does teach us with regard to the subject at hand is that there is a sense of reprobation that David is even praying for in Psalm 69. And that's what Paul is quoting back in our text in Romans 11. He says, and David said, let their table be made a snare. Now, the reference to the table here is a a very... Uh, a very clear demonstration that the table was meant to be something beneficial. So in other words, what Paul is saying and what David was saying is, let that which normally brings benefit, that which normally brings a, uh, a, something that can be uh, counted as a, a glorious uh, receiving of something. He says, let their table be made a snare. Now, just as those who walked by Christ on the cross and they wagged their heads at him, just like all of those who had witnessed all the prophecies being fulfilled, scripture being fulfilled right before their eyes, those that just simply mocked and ridiculed, the the cross itself becomes a snare. That which should be beneficial becomes a snare. It becomes a trap. Now, our great benefit today is not the cross in a sense of a representation. That's what I mean. Not that the cross itself, what happened on the cross, but it's, it, the cross of Jesus Christ is beneficial to those who believe because we understand what happened on that cross. We understand the reality of our need of a substitute, and we understand what that means. But do you know that to those who have been blinded and have been given over to their own vile affections, that which is beneficial becomes a snare. It becomes a trap. You and I read the word of God, and I trust you read the word of God on your own, in your own devotions, in your own family worship, and it is is a benefit to you. But do you realize when God leaves man in his hardened condition and gives them over to their vile affection and vile lust, the very Scriptures become a snare. That which should benefit them actually condemns them. They don't see the glory in it. They don't see the beauty in it. That's what David was actually praying and that's what Paul is stating. David said, let their table what normally is of benefit and normally of a profit, be made a snare. The snare is the Scripture itself, inasmuch in, in that it's not able to be understood, it's not able to be handed down and taught, but now it's just simply words. Of course, we understand that from the very same table, The Bible in illustration does draw that from the Scriptures itself, one person is drawn to salvation and another person is drawn to death. That cannot be argued. The Scriptures do not bring all people to saving faith. You could pass out Scriptures to millions of people and give them all the Word of God, and it would not bring every single one of them to faith. It is something that's meant to be a benefit, but now it is brought to bring judgment. So we should think about this and not treat and treat with reverence the very way in which God has not left us in our hardened condition. We should not approach the word of God with pride. We should not approach the word of God as if we have figured it all out. We should not approach the word of God as if I know exactly what God is doing. I know why God does what He does. I know all that I need to know about God. The Word of God can become a snare to you. It's an amazing thing that when you talk to people who do not know the Lord, it's amazing how much they claim to know about God in the Scriptures. And we just simply say, well, that's just their own intellect. At what point do we not know that God has not given them up to the spirit of slumber, to where now what should benefit them is now no longer a benefit. It's a trap. It's a snare. We say God could never do that. We're going to have to argue with God in a lot of places in Scripture because there is evidence that that's exactly what happens. 2 Thessalonians says, God sends them a delusion that they would believe a lie. Now we understand that it doesn't make the word of God faulty. And it doesn't mean that the word of God is wrong. It is that God is giving the spirit of slumber. He is allowing man to stay in his condition. Now notice he not only says, is it to be made a snare, but he says, and a trap. A trap is now a little bit more of an illustration to show us the danger, a snare, a trap. What is the purpose of a trap? A purpose of a trap is to put something into that trap that draws an animal. It entices it. It brings it to the trap only to do what? Not to be graphic, but to snap shut. That animal that is walking near that trap thinks it's getting something for its benefit, but what it's actually receiving is death. Now these are hard truths about the Word of God that we often still struggle with. Even in our circles where we believe the doctrines of grace, we believe in Reformed theology, we take all these things and we take them very dearly to our heart, but you cannot have one without the other and realize that the doctrine of reprobation is very much a biblical doctrine. And that mankind can get to a place where he continually can, over and over and over again, says, I'm just in my own pride and my own righteousness. I don't want anything to do with this. I want nothing to do with God. That God just gives them over and says, you are given over to your vile affections and your eyes are never going to be opened. Friends, we've got to be very careful with what we do with the word of God when we hear it. We should never take a single message from the scriptures lightly. We should never assume, well, that's not an important thing for me to know. Or we've heard this over and over and over again. Every time the word of God is open, whether in corporate preaching or whether it's in your own private time with God, do not disregard what God is speaking. See, man wants to blame God for his own destruction, yet it's man brings upon himself his own destruction. Paul uses this illustration as what's happened to some of the Jews. They were brought in. They were seeking life in something else. What did the Pharisees and what did the majority of the Jews try to find eternal life in? In keeping the law. The law which is good, Paul says, became a snare to the Pharisees. The law is good, but the Pharisees believed that eternal life and righteousness was found in the keeping of that law yet they sought life in something that could not bring life. They had a zeal for righteousness, but the righteousness they had a zeal for was self-righteousness. And I want you to remember this. Self-righteousness always rejects Christ. There is no room for self-righteousness in Christ in the believer. It is either all of Christ or it's all self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is death. Self-righteousness is the rejection of Christ. Self-righteousness refuses the gospel. And a person that refuses the gospel seals their own fate. And if God gives them the spirit of slumber, he has not given them something that they did not already have. He's just allowed them to stay in that state. So we understand that this snare, this trap. But then he uses another word he uses the word a stumbling block and a recompense. A stumbling block goes along with the ensnaring in the trap. They're ensnared by what? By false teaching. They're ensnared by what is... they, They are taken as wrong. They take offense at true doctrine. You see, the Pharisees were very offended when Christ preached truth, were they not? There are people today that are very offended that the truth that gets preached and they're offended by it. We've we've had people over the years come into this church who've been offended by something that they heard about the cross. Never to return. We've had people tell me that. We're offended by this. They're offended by the truth. The truth is going to offend those who are without Christ or who are ensnared in some level of false doctrine. But you'll notice that there is a series that is happening here. Let their table, what should be beneficial, let that become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block If they're ensnared through that which they understand wrongly, they will cleave to that which is wrong. So without actually realizing it, what they're doing is they're allowing themselves to be ensnared. But then when the truth is pointed out, they're offended that you spoke truth unto them. So what will they do? What a a rejecter of the gospel and a rejecter of the scriptures will do is they will turn away from the truth. They'll avoid it, or they'll do like Paul wrote in Romans 1, they'll change it into a lie. Their eyes are darkened. Look what it says. Let their eyes, we'll read this in a moment, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. What happens in this? There is this, table is turned now into something that is not beneficial it becomes a snare they're enticed into it the trap snaps shut it's a stumbling block they start to believe the lie and notice what it is described as as a recompense unto them a recompense is to pay back to pay back them This isn't blaming God, this is blaming them. It's a pay for their unrighteousness, a pay for their sin. For the wages of sin is death. They're left in that circumstance. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see. So now something becomes darkened. To be dark is to be blinded. To be at the place where now they can no longer see. Remember a couple weeks ago we read from Isaiah 6.10 in that glorious vision of Isaiah seeing the Lord high and holy and lifted up. And we saw how so many people use this as a means of a missionary call. And God was not calling Isaiah to go and open eyes. He was telling Isaiah that your mission is going to be to make the heart of the people fat and make their ears heavy so that they would not see and they would not hear. That's the judicial judgment of God. You'll notice after that Isaiah, he goes and does that. He goes and he performs that which God called him to do. And as we saw in Psalm 69, 22, even David's prayer was, let their table become a snare before them. What do we pray for when we want to see somebody come to faith or come to Christ rather? We say, Lord, enlighten their eyes, open their eyes, open or unstop their ears. Why do we pray that way? Because biblically, that's what must happen for a person to understand the realities of these things. We're not praying for God to give them new eyes or give them new ears. We're praying that God would open the eyes that they have. Why? Because their eyes are dark. Why would we pray to unstop their ears? Because their ears are stopped up. We're praying that God would enlighten them. When we pray for the Spirit to, be, to accompany the Word with power, that's what we're asking God to do. God does good to those who come before him in humility. At the very least, at the very least, a world that is without excuse that there is a God should approach God at the very least with humility. And yet the depravity of man will make a person stand up in defiance in their own hardened will and mind and shake their fist at God and say, I will not humble myself to this God. Now, if a man takes that approach, a woman takes that approach just on the surface, doesn't God have a right to do whatever he wants to do with that person? Absolutely. He created that individual. The Bible says he created Pharaoh to demonstrate his glory. He created Judas Iscariot for the very purpose of being a traitor. But then we understand that when God's people... We, real, we realize what has happened to us. We don't come to, to a knowledge of Christ in pride. We don't come to Christ with this idea that we are worthy of being saved. No, we come because we know that the prayer was answered, that our eyes were opened and our ears were unstopped. Everyday life, we think about every day that we live. We ought to thank God that he opened our eyes. Imagine, even as us as believers in the world today, when you try to proclaim the gospel, when you try to give the good news, why are so many people offended at your stance for God? Can I ask you that question today? Why does your faith offend unbelievers? If you never say anything about it, but they know you're a Christian, You offend them. Why are they offended? Because there is a knowledge that there's a God. And they do not want to come to terms with the reality that they're a sinner. You don't have to say anything about their sin. They're offended. But if you do speak, you can certainly bet they're going to be offended. And they're going to have something to say to you. Again, All you're doing is speaking truth. Why does a man or a woman hate the truth? We understand that uh, even the offense that comes can come within the realities of what we believe uh, should be a good uh, story. Think about the story of the prodigal son. Sometimes we miss the reality of this. This is not just about the prodigal son. There's a prodigal brother involved too. And the reality is, is the brother is offended by the prodigal son who comes back. He can't believe that he's getting the fatted calf. He can't believe he's getting the royal treatment. Yet the story is always about how the prodigal son came to himself and by his own free will decided to return to God, return to the Father, and we miss the sovereignty of God in all of this. That story is not about a person coming to their own free will and saying, I think I'll go back to Jesus. This is about the sovereign grace of God. Think about those who were offended when God and Christ was calling laborers into the vineyard. And they agreed to a certain amount. And then when they found out the people who came later were offered what appeared to be more, the first people murmured against whom? Not the people who received, but against the householder who had the right to distribute whatever wages he chose to distribute. You see, the reality is, is even in the face of truth, man will reject and defy a living God. And then this last expression we'll deal with today says, Not only let their eyes be darkened and they may not see, and bow down their back always. Uh, this This is descriptive of falling down to a place where they never again will look up. Uh, This is applied in a metaphorical sense. It, It describes a person who's bowed down in their back and they can no longer look up to God. They no longer observe or care to look to he who is in heaven. They only regard their own righteousness. That's all they're concerned about. They seek their own righteousness. They seek their own way. They seek their own glory. Remember, what, remember the context. Paul said not every single one of Israel is blinded. There is an elect remnant who has been enlightened. But those who remain in blindness, they are still blind to the reality of the, re, the need for Christ and they are still damning themselves in their own self-righteousness. Now we can't get away from the reality that says God gives them the spirit of slumber. But we also cannot escape, scripturally speaking, that man is not left without excuse, nor is he left without fault. Man is called to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, those who will not come, you're choosing not to come. Because there's nothing that's preventing you from repenting right now and calling on Christ. But what the proud in heart will say is, no, God's keeping me from that. No, if there's a desire to repent and a desire to come to Christ, there's nothing and nobody holding you from doing that. But I do believe there comes a time, just like it did with Israel, where God said, for a time, there will be those that will be blinded, but there will always be a remnant. Why are the people of Israel blind? Because God left them in their blindness. Their blindness was a punishment for their sin. It was a just punishment for their sin. Just like God would have been perfectly just to leave us all in our sin. They didn't want to see the things of God. They didn't want to acknowledge, even though God throughout Israel had been a part of every aspect of their redemptive history, how could they still come to the conclusion, we don't want anything to do with God? If you don't want to see the kingdom of God, if you don't want to hear the word of God, you won't. You're not saved against your will. I hope we understand the doctrines of grace do not teach that you're saved against your will. And that you are are caught and brought dragging and screaming and kicking and saying, no, 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 I don't want Christ. That's not how it happens. But the reality is, is if you continue to say, I don't want the things of God, I don't need the things of God, I think it's very, I think it's an admonition to all of us to be reminded that there's nothing that prevents God from allowing you and leaving you in that current condition of being blinded and being unable to hear. Folks, it's the very thing that concerns me the most about the reality of bad doctrine in the world and bad doctrine that you can Access at your fingertips. There's never been a time in history where you have access to so much false doctrine. And how many Christians are being led astray because they're being drawn in by somebody they think is solid, somebody who's giving them truth, and they're not even speaking the truth. But it's accessible. This chosen remnant of the believing Jews who had a righteous and life by faith in Christ, they were kept, Paul says, according to the election of grace, not according to their own works. So if it was an election of grace, which we've been learning, then it could not be of works, either works that had been performed or foreseen works. Every redeemed sinner is not the cause of his or her own election. It's only by the free grace of God. Salvation from beginning to end must either be of grace or of an owed debt. Okay? They're contrary. Works and grace do not work together. It is by grace alone we are saved. So God glorifies His free grace when He changes the hearts, opens the eyes, opens the ears of those who are rebels. Someone says today, I don't know, I don't have a single reason to praise God today. My life is not what it's supposed to be. You should praise God that your eyes were opened. You should praise God that your ears are unstopped. Because if you're understanding what's being said here today, it's because God is giving you the ability to see it, hear it, understand it, and praise Him for it. You may lose everything in this world, but if you know that God has saved you by His grace, you always have a reason to praise Him. That's worthy of our praise. And I hope you can praise Him for that this morning. Let's finish this time by singing the hymn on 268. Let's stand together.